Hi everyone, Dave. This is Will Fitzgerald, programmer of The FLA, and I just wanted to take a moment of your time before this week's episode to let all filmmakers listening know about this year's submission process. This episode is going out on a Thursday, and tomorrow, Friday, we'll open feature film submissions for the 2021 Galway Film FLA, our 33rd edition. We're looking for feature films of all kinds, uh, across drama, documentary, animation, um, any length, uh, as long as it's over 40 minutes, um, which is the requirement for feature length submissions, uh, any form, any content, um, we want to see them all. Uh, we particularly love receiving submissions from um, first and second feature directors, but of course everyone is welcome. I personally can't wait to start watching your films. All the details about deadlines and screening fees can be found on galwayfilmflat.com from tomorrow morning. Um, of course, the big question is what kind of a festival am I going to be submitting to? And the honest answer is we can't say for certain just yet. We are planning for a triumphant return to our physical event. We are planning for a continuation of our online event, complete with everything we learned and took away from this past year's edition. And thank you to everyone who tuned in um, and supported us this year. We are planning for a brand new hybrid event that would allow us to have socially distant audiences and reach those who can't travel with us if uh, restrictions are still in place. So we're making plans upon plans and we'll keep you updated as we go. Uh, subscribe to our newsletter and keep an eye on our website for all our news. And all of those submission details are again available at GalwayFilmFla.com. So onto this week's topic and we're talking about all things development in 2020. Uh, Sarah Dillon from the Western Region Audiovisual Producers Fund or the RAP Fund recorded a panel live at the Goa Film Flat this past year with a fantastic group of development executives talking all about their slates for the past year and this coming year and the challenges of development in 2020. But before they wrapped up, um, Sarah didn't get time to answer some of the more general listener questions coming in, uh, like one that came in from a listener named Rachel at the end looking for advice on a career in development. So I thought before we get to the panel, we would have Sarah back on today to answer Rachel's question and maybe talk a little bit more generally about the role of development as well. So, Sarah, thanks uh, for coming back uh, and joining us again here at the FLA to talk even more <laughs> about uh, the wonderful field of development, which is getting so much attention this year. Thanks, Will. Uh, my favourite subject. Uh, as you know, I come from... My, my, my roots, I suppose, would be in development. I started out in Screen Ireland, uh, God, it's over 14 years ago now, um, working in the production development team, but a lot was reading scripts at that stage. So that's kind of where my heart lies, maybe, in many ways. Yeah. And so help me, for anyone listening, kind of demystify the role a bit, because it kind of gets to the heart of what um, Rachel asked at the end of the panel there, um, which the listeners are about to hear. You know, she asked about advice and in getting into development. So if for people who are thinking about a career in the creative industries and are wondering, you know, what, how that role is different from, say, that of a producer, how would you describe the role of, of development? I mean, development is, is, is critical and sadly, it's an area that often gets squeezed um, just due to financial and time pressures. Um, but you can't make any project without putting the script in place. It is the blueprint on, of which everything is built. Um, so, so it is a very fundamental and core part of, of our sector. Um, and I think it's growing in importance now as well. Um, a lot of people generally start out in development, often um, 
if you get a job in a company, a larger audiovisual company, you can often go in as a development coordinator or development executive. Um, in that case, you might be making the applications, you might be vetting projects as they come in. But it's a skill set, I think, that's that's very important um, and is very much part of the arsenal of, of all good creative producers um, that eye and that focus for development. Yeah, square that for me in terms of, you know, something that, again, we are kind of learning more and more the importance of it, particularly this past year when a lot of projects have been on hold, um, but also, you know, seemingly being filled by a lot of entry level positions. Because as you say, it is, it's it's crucial to the process mm. um, and it is a kind of acquired skill set uh, as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a number of things with development. I mean, a lot of it, I mean, things like structure um, the the semantics, I suppose, of 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 scripts they can be learned you know we all know we've all heard about the three act structure you know turning points plot points those things you can you can learn i always feel that there is an element of immersion needed for most people and um, you only get to kind of develop your nose through reading lots of scripts being part of the process so that that's really important a lot of people will work as readers um in the first instance and that gives them immersion so the likes of ourselves the rap fund screen ireland and, and production companies will often hire independent readers to assess projects at application stage and to give critical feedback on on projects so that's a great way to kind of hone and develop um, your nose, as I said, for want of a better phrase, and your abilities around development. And it will allow you to see what's good and what's bad, really, you know, the, and separate the good from the bad. And then once you kind of get into the process, maybe within a company or working as an independent, there is a drought, I should say, of good script executives and script editors, particularly in Ireland at the moment, um, where you're working kind of one on one with a with a writer, a director, a producer team. Um, you can be brought in at various stages um, within that process to deliver feedback and, and try and advance projects along from treatment, from outline to treatment to script stage. Um, you could be involved in multiple discussions and multiple passes of a script. And really, a lot of the time, the script, the development executive or the script editor, be they within the company or somebody the company have hired themselves to work on a project, is often trying to support the writer to find the best route to solving some problems that may exist um, within their script. They're not necessarily always there to come up with the solutions. They're there to maybe point out some of the problems and f and help the, the writer overcome them. Um, sure. th that's a big thing. You're never in development. You're never the person it's it's ultimately it's not your project. It's the writer's project. It's the director's project. You're there to facilitate support, and it's sometimes you know it, that can be a difficult role because you know things may not be going well, and um, you may have reached a bit of an impasse. So you're coming up with you're as creative in that sense, coming up with the uh, ways around um dealing with those problems and, and helping the the team involved um find solutions. I mean, sometimes you can get into particularly when you get into kind of advanced development, you know, you get into kind of very precise core conversations where you're not necessarily always dealing with the kind of bigger ticket items. You may be trying to look at the motivation of a particular character, a secondary character. Some of the conversations can just be around cost where you need to cut scenes. How are you going to do that? So it's always important to kind of listen to the person who is paying your bill, your wages, right. as I suppose, and, and what they're what they want and try to uh, navigate that with with the team involved. Yeah. And that kind of leads me on to my other question, actually, which is that I think that the public perception of development is a lot of like what you're talking about is like working on story problems in the script. But there's other considerations as well. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, you, you know, there, there's many things, particularly if you're working within a larger company, um, you could be working on multiple projects at the same time with different talent. You're also managing those talent relationships within a company. If you're a development executive within a company, a big amount of your time could be spent on the legal side of it as well. So working with agents and lawyers to, to get the, the option agreement, the rights agreement, the screenplay agreement over the line. Um, and that can take up a, a huge amount of time and it's a very particular skill set and, and set of knowledge that's needed as well. And I said, you can be balancing a slate of projects as well, where you may have, you know, projects at uh, early development stages, mid development stages, um, advanced development stages, all requiring a certain amount of your time. You may also then be, be making funding applications again you know you could be that could take up a, a significant chunk of your time you're trying to figure out how am i going to finance the development of this project and um, ultimately how are we going to finance the production of this project and who is it for um and then you're you're maybe applying to the rap fund screen ireland generally the bai um, the creative europe um, you may be going to other media funds so so there's an art and a skill in in just putting together applications as well and sure. that can take up a big amount of your time so again always going to it's always going to go back to those that core story development and looking at projects um i suppose in their cleanest format who is this for and and therefore where is it best placed? Because often, you know, you might get a project in that has come in as a feature film and there might be something in it that works better for television or, or you know, another medium. Um, so it's kind of understanding all of that and understanding the market as, as it exists as well. Sure. And so then finally, before we get to the, the panel, um, if you are, let's say you're a recent graduate or a younger person looking for a career in the creative industries, what kind of skill sets should you be equipping yourself with if you are looking to break into development? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a couple of things. There's some wonderful courses that you can do. I always kind of think maybe kind of looking at a very fundamental legals course is worth it just so you can understand um, the terms, the terminology around things like option agreements, uh, rights, screenplay agreements, those kind of things that that, that will always stand to you and, and be part of your arsenal. Um, I think, you know, we all kind of have read the basic uh, books, you know, the Robert McKees, um, those kind of books that kind of will give you the grammar and the language that you need and kind of give you the basic structures that we all follow within screenplays um, and screenplay development. So Emmanuel Berg does a great one. There's actually a great book as well by, I, she's she's sadly deceased now by a lady called Lucy Sure, who used to run the script factory in the UK. And it was one of the books that I read very early kind of about the art of kind of creating a reader's report. I think that's still available to buy in some places. It, it might be harder to get, but it's one that I always recommend to people. And actually that's a great way to kind of start dipping your toe in is doing those reader's reports and assessments. So contacting the likes of the, the bigger companies who may use independent readers and um, agents, Screen Ireland, asking to do test reads, understanding how their templates work um, and what they look for. And it's a great way to get some immersion into it as well. So get access to lots of scripts at lots of stages that you could, that you're reading and building up um, your 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 arsenal, your capabilities in that. Then another great thing to do, you know, is start putting yourself out to some of the larger companies. Often they again, depending on the right time, you know, they will take on interns or they have kind of 
positions you know available that you can go in kind of in general positions and again working either with their development executive their producers to support them on the work that they're doing again is a great way to kind of get your foothold in the industry and then after that that's where people tend to graduate on to then becoming um script editors themselves and, and working on projects i mean it's quite an exciting time now in ireland as well i mean you know we predominantly have developed a lot of feature films but you know the television world is opening up and expanding at a rate of knots so there's opportunities you know to kind of shadow in writers rooms and, and see how that works i would also say things like um Ross Naroon, if you have the Irish language and Fair City, you know, there may be opportunities there, you know, in the development departments, you know, to see how those machines work. I mean, there's great output there. They're making a number of hours of television every year. So again, it can be another kind of learning curve um, and it can enhance, you know, your skills and capability in terms of development. Great. And I think with that, we'll get back to the panel. Um, so thanks again, Sarah. No problem. And, nice uh, to chat. Now we'll go back to Sarah. <laughs> Sarah. The, the, uh, the, the, the same Sarah just uh, six months ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and still somehow just as wise uh, as ever. That's a neat trick. So thanks again. And uh, everyone who's listening, please enjoy this uh, fantastic panel. Talk soon. Bye. Hello and welcome. So we're hoping to kind of have about a 40, 45 minute chat here. And it's about all things development. So when we sat back and thought about what we put together for these sessions, I suppose, development has become maybe the main function for a lot of companies and uh, creatives over the last four months. And maybe it's given us the time to kind of reflect on what we're doing within our development and maybe look at a strategy for our development uh, process. Um, often I think the next deadline is often glaring people in the face and it's this countdown clock to make these deadlines. And sometimes we don't always have the opportunity to look at our slate collectively and approach them strategically. So we wanted to have a conversation about that today and thankfully, you know, um, agencies like Screen Ireland and others across the world have made lots of funding available for development um, over the last number of months to help companies. Um, and I think there are 26 companies in all in Ireland who've just received state funding, including Elven Pictures. Um, so again, I think it's a, it's a timely conversation to think about um, maybe your brand as a, as a, a company and um, how that dictates what you might do in development to look at your projects, maybe from a strategic point of view. Um, and also, you know, ask some kind of pertinent questions as to how some really successful companies do that. So we have a really great panel. Uh, I want to introduce you to Ben Corrin, who's the head of development for Film 4. We have Dion Farrell, who is the development executive with uh, BBC Films. We have Emma Norton, who's a producer and former head of development at Element Pictures. And producer and filmmaker extraordinaire Tristan Gallagher as well from the Bureau in the UK. We'll start off with you, Ben, and you might just uh, maybe introduce, I mean, Film 4 probably doesn't need much introduction, but maybe talk about your work at Film 4, the slate of projects you have in development, and specifically maybe talk about what is the Film 4 brand a little bit as well. Sure. Hi, everyone. Yeah, I'm Ben. Uh, I'm head of development at Film 4 as of last year. I was a development production exec uh, for many years at Film 4 before that. Um, I mean, I think I think people probably know roughly what what Film Four is, with the film making arm of Channel Four TV in the UK. Um, the brands, I, I always think the brands quite sort of elastic. Like we're obviously looking for very you know strongly authored films from a kind of eclectic, diverse range of filmmakers. Um, 
and we kind of do quite a lot within that. I guess the big thing to say is that with this hybrid model where we're a public funder um, and we have a remit that we report the government on, but we're mainly funded by advertising. Um, so in TV, kind of how that works is you have shows like Great British Bake Off that bring in a lot of advertising money and that kind of allows the channel to support shows like more challenging current affairs or drama output that maybe um, isn't going to sort of guarantee advertising revenue. And kind of what Film 4 aims to do is to replicate that cross-subsidy model in some ways um, in its film states. We'll always work with, you know, exciting new talent and make a number of, of debuts in any given year. So uh, films like St. Maud, uh, Rose Lights of St. Maud, or Comic Horses, Bennett Rowland that um, Element are involved in, uh, or Ben Sherrick's Limbo, which is the second feature that's in virtual cam. Um, so yeah, so an exciting range of debuts, uh, which we can fund in quite a sort of pure public service-y kind of a way. And then that's kind of offset by the, the bigger films from more established filmmakers um, with bigger casts, which we kind of know will probably have a greater international reach. Not always, because some of the debuts, well, we hope all the debuts will really break out. Um, so that's the kind of model we're working to in any given year is kind of a range of exciting lower budget features alongside some higher budget uh, stuff with more established filmmakers and of course there's always a few that sit in the middle as well um, but yeah but within that it's pretty flexible uh, I mean the stuff we talk about internally um, as I'm sure everyone does is kind of eclecticism and diversity so obviously part of the Channel 4 remit is to do with underrepresented voices so we talk a lot about diverse filmmakers in terms of backgrounds um, and different kind of racial diversity, but also in terms of gender, in terms of class, in terms of representing different parts of the UK and, you know, making sure we're telling sort of untold stories within the UK alongside um, the material we might make that sets abroad. Um, so it's pretty, it's a pretty eclectic range, um, but yeah, just aiming for that kind of range of budget levels and range of stories and genres and filmmakers mm -hmm. across the state. And I might ask you, Ben, how many active projects do you reckon are on the Film for Slate right now, development slate? Uh, I mean, quite a lot. It's over 100. Um, <laughs> but, you know, obviously worth saying that, you know, we're a funder rather than a production company that's kind of um, lovingly pushing a smaller slate of projects for production. And the fact that we have got quite a big development pot and we're quite a big funder does allow us to do a few things like kind of um, you know, give a playwright we find interesting a little bit of money to work on a treatment with us um, alongside kind of having several projects with one of our sort of more established directors. So there's kind of a wide range of projects within that slate, um, which are kind of looking to achieve slightly different things. And Tristan, I might jump onto you here from the producer's perspective again. Maybe you'll talk a little bit about the Bureau and if you feel you have a brand at the Bureau and if that's important to you um, when you're looking at the development process. Yeah, I think um, historically the company has been, I guess, seen as a production company who's prepared to back new talent and, and debut filmmakers. And uh, that's, you know, that's very much the case. It was founded to produce Asif Kapadia's first feature and we made Andrew Haig's first feature and, you know, more recently Peter Mackey Burns and, and Harry Woodliffe. But one of the key elements of, I guess, our strategy and development is about maintaining those relationships and developing good long-term relationships with those filmmakers. So with Andrew, we're uh, currently financing his fourth feature film, which we will do together. Uh, we are currently in the midst of production on Harry Woodless second feature, um, which we maybe we can talk a little bit about. We're on hiatus, obviously, at the moment. Um, 
in the in the FLA, we have uh, Peter Mackie Burns' second feature, and we produced his first film as well. So one of the key things for us basically is identifying talent that we really want to work with, that we believe in. We're prepared to, um, I guess, take a kind of a degree of risk on that. Uh, and ultimately, the goal is that we hope we'll be making their third, fourth, fifth feature films. Um, in terms of the type of work we're looking for, we don't have a set policy as such, but I guess our taste has always gravitated towards uh, strong character stories. Um, films like 45 Years or Daphne or Only You all fall into that. Um, but definitely increasingly, you know, we, as everybody on this panel will be, will probably talk a bit about, you know, you're trying to find ways of telling those dramas, which maybe are very personal stories that maybe reflect on the way we live in, in the world today. But you have to try and do that in a way which also can connect with an audience. And that's at a time when cinema is getting harder and harder. And um, certainly we have begun developing TV projects, which obviously Element have been doing with great success of late, um, producing some. Um, and that's definitely something that is in our future as well, because the types of stories we love to tell often work very successfully in that format. So. Brilliant. And Dion, I might bring you in again as well to just talk a little bit about BBC films and I suppose your aesthetic as a, as a funder and as a brand um, and how that informs the projects that you guys back and want to work on. Um, well, we're a public funder like Film 4 or BFI, so we work in quite a similar way to how Ben has described Film 4 working, um, putting equity and TV license into the development and production financing of projects. We've got a, uh, a development plate of around 100 projects actively in development at any one time. And um, before the pandemic, we're um, making around 15 to 20 films, feature films a year, while still do also doing some short films in order to support newer talent coming through. Um, I think uh, similarly to some others that have already spoken, we're not very prescriptive in our remit or um, I guess in our kind of brand, obviously BBC is an established brand, brand that's known internationally, but I think um, particularly in light of recent events and um, uh, evolving conversations around representation and inclusion, uh, it's really important for us to try and keep abreast of um, that push for diversity in terms of the projects we're supporting and also the filmmakers. So that we want to have a real um, eclecticism on our slate and we want to be making films that can cater to a, a really wide demographic and that can play on all of our channels because whilst the hope is that they will get a theatrical release that is you know we're making films for the BBC so that's kind of what you know dictates dictate things for us is we're very author driven um, and very talent driven and that's at the heart of how we make our decisions but I think we're also having to think about a lot about audience and where that play comes into play and um, who we're making films for and what success looks like for each of those projects in terms of what their life is going to be once they're out in the world um, and have eyes on them. Great and Emma I might bring you in here and um, you know I think Element you know have worked very hard Andrew and Ed over a number of years and you've been there for quite a number of years as well to <laughs> To build this kind of world-class identity as element pictures and I think there was a strategic process and I might be wrong in this where you know I mean Ed I think has spoken before about identifying maybe non-English language speaking 
um, auteur directors and trying to make their first English language film. And, and that has been maybe a strategy that they've pursued. But again, maybe to talk a little bit about what you think Element Pictures is and stands for and how that informs the projects that you guys want to back and work on. Sure. I mean, I think that we have talked about strategy uh, over the years and, you know, sort of almost in cycles of kind of every two or three years, we really interrogate what we're doing and why we're doing it and who we're working with and all of those things. And I think many things inform those conversations. And as you said, at the point that we maybe last spoke, there was this feeling that, you know, we'd had this really successful relationship with Yorgos and that our position as a kind of Irish production company placed us kind of fairly uniquely as a bridge between the kind of UK industry and the European industry and, you know, and beyond that kind of as an international production company. And so I think our kind of identity as a production company is quite, is informed by a large kind of, uh, a large pool of talent that we've made a lot of effort to familiarise ourselves with as a, as a group and, you know, to find the people within that that we love working with. And I think, uh, you know, as Tristan said, kind of the Bureau and Element are similar in this way in that our key kind of motivation for making films and TV is always the people that we're working with and the talent and the sort of genius that they bring to all of these projects. So for us, it's about finding the people who we can, uh, who understand us, who we understand and who we feel that we can support in a, a very um, intuitive way and making sure that we help them build their careers and make the, the best work that they can possibly possibly make. And that can be, you know, anything across TV and film because uh, probably about three or four years ago, we started to really heavily invest in our TV slate and, you know, Normal People recently has been the kind of culmination of that work. Um, but, you know, lots of things before that as well sort of showed our kind of uh, enthusiasm for working in TV and trying to, under, you know, really make a mark in that area. But really it's, we have a slate of about 60 projects across film and television, all at different stages. Um, and, and I think that one of the things about the way that the TV world has gone is that there's such a huge demand for all sorts of, you know, hundreds of stories that now actually kind of experience levels and when you can get something off the ground have changed quite a lot. So, you know, historically, TV was a little bit of a closed book. You know, you had to be at a certain level to be getting everything commissioned. But actually these days, you know, we have been having more success with newer filmmakers or newer writers. And so that's opened the door a lot for the people that we can work with and successfully produce. So um, I think there's a lot of interrogation goes on within Element about, you know, mm. making sure we're doing the right thing. And, and as you were saying, Dion, like currently we're in a very... Um, big discussion internally about you know diversity and inclusion and the representation of filmmakers and talent on our slate and just also trying to really you know hold ourselves to account on that on that front as well. Mm. An interesting question for you Emma as well so when you're looking at a project and it's something that I've talked to Emer at Screen Ireland which is my name checking her this idea of um, looking at projects um, maybe they might be feature films, they may be TV, but this idea of returnable worlds, returnable characters, it's that something that now plays into your mind when you're maybe assessing projects that maybe you want to add to the state or projects that you're developing that may pivot into becoming something else, particularly where you pick up, a, say, a book or a um, maybe something that exists already as an IP and you're kind of mm. trying to assess what this should be. Is that something that's now in your mind's eye a little bit? 
I mean, it is a little bit, I would say it's not a priority. Like it, mm. it, we are very, um, like a lot of, obviously it'd be great to have returnable series and, uh, you know, find stories and characters that we can keep talking about. And, you know, one of the funny things about normal people has been the response of, you know, the demands for the second series, but obviously it's a book. We finished the book. <laughs> um, so, you know, we are often, we do a lot of um, work through uh, with our book scout. And so a lot of our material is literary material. And there are some books, I think everything on our site is a case by case basis and we analyze it in order to kind of make the most of what it offers us. We don't, there's no one sort of particularly tasked with finding uh, those returnable worlds or, I mean, I suppose it would be lovely to find them, but a lot of our stuff is so authored that it almost kind of often lends itself more to a limited series or, um, you know, a, a one-off film. So it's not that we wouldn't like to find those things, but we're not prioritizing finding those things either. Interesting. You know, I think of things like The Young Offenders and how that created a spin-off series, or I mean, you could take any character in the Dairy Girls and make a feature film about them at this stage. So I wonder yeah. if that was in your no, mind. No, I think it's very, it's very clever and a lot of people are doing it. And whenever mm. anyone does it, you know, I like, uh, I've always thought the idea of the Brooklyn boarding house off the back of Brooklyn was a great idea. And I thought, oh, Absolutely. that would be wish I thought of that but yeah. uh <laughs> um you know it, it's not the kind of priority I think our, you know our thing is find good stories find good characters find the best way of telling that that story and then if you get uh, the enthusiasm for a second go at it then even better mm. and maybe for Dion and Ben here I might bring you into this conversation as well particularly when you're assessing maybe new applications or new projects that are coming to you and you may have a company, I suppose, where the brand is well known and maybe that creates a shorthand for you and that you know what you're going to get sometimes. Um, but what for you are the kind of maybe two or three key things that you look for when um, looking at a project to add it to and back it for funding within your company? So maybe, Dion, you might come, come in here first. Um, I think uh, this talent is very much at the heart of a lot of our decision making where it's not that everything that comes to us has to have all talent um, elements uh, involved up front. So we're, we're happy to look at things, you know, if it's a producer bringing us a project with a writer attached, but no director, or similarly a director coming with an idea who needs to find a writer. Um, there's lots of ways in which we can assess things and, and build projects, but we, um, I think when it is, you know, a director, um involved from the get-go we want to know what they've done previously it's quite useful to see if they've done shorts before or if they're moving from a different medium possibly um it's really useful to just get a good sense of their voice and their vision and the kinds of stories they want to be telling in film um, and in feature films um i think we're looking at the the ideas and in terms of for us film has to have or the ambition that it has some sort of longevity. So, you know, we're living in a moment that I'm sure is inspiring lots of creativity and, and people want to tell stories about what it's like to live through a pandemic. But um, whereas there are certain mediums that are uh, slightly better suited at responding to that uh, much more quickly, um, I think any stories that come out of this experience feel like they have to have some sort of universal or, you know, speak to something that feels like uh, we can all relate or find ourselves in it in some way whether it's about loneliness or um 
you know what it's like to 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 try and find love or connection in this age um so we're we're looking at the um you know what's what's the kind of what relationship will the material or the project have to to a relate to an audience um and I feel like I've just started waffling actually, but I think it's, you know, it's about the talent, but it's also about the, the ideas and, and whether they feel fresh um, and and new and exciting and can and speak to an audience. And Ben, for you, maybe again, particularly editorially, um, are there are there key markers for you that you like to see maybe in a treatment or a script that comes to you as it? Um, the world, the visual writing, the characters, what is it that kind of appeals to you um, at Film 4 that you look for when you're kind of scanning through projects? I mean, at the risk of sounding very similar to what other people are saying, yeah, it's kind of, it kind of is talent driven first. And I guess, especially with the, the newer talent, they're kind of a bit like Tristan was saying, we hope to kind of build relationships with talent kind of over their careers. So sort of people who have an exciting range of shorts behind them um, and we can kind of hopefully go on to make a debut and you know a number of feature films with. Uh, I mean we are very material first so it really is reading you know a script or a book or, or a treatment um, we're not very prescriptive about what format things come in or what stage things come in it's kind of whenever someone feels you know they've got something that excitingly represents what they're trying to do we're happy to look at it. Um, so it's, yeah, it's kind of engagement with the material first. Um, I mean, worth saying, I guess, that we, there's some things we don't do very much of. We don't do very much like absolutely sort of straight down the line genre stuff. You know, we hope that you know, the phrase elevator genre is something we do talk about and just making sure everything's kind of authored and interesting and has a very, you know, clear directorial stamp on it is important to us. So we don't do very many kind of completely straight genre movies. Um, historically, we haven't done that much period drama but we have done quite a lot in the last few years kind of following directors we find exciting into that space as long as it's got a kind of clear contemporary um, message and something to say about the modern world and some sort of pure heritage cinema um, but yeah we get some all sorts really and it really it is kind of just being excited by the material and the talent involved um, and obviously sort of seeing where it sits in our slate as well you know we do try and kind of um, make sure that we're commissioning in a sensible way that uh, you know results in the slate being as varied as possible and we're quite a big team and everyone's kind of working on different projects so we do try to sort of make sure that we're not commissioning things that feel very similar to each other um to ensure we've got the range of yeah filmmakers and projects so that's i guess one thing that we do uh try and do is make sure there's a kind of overall spread and that where that's landing is kind of where we want it to be you know we do keep a record of what we've commissioned over the last year and then kind of look at it occasionally to kind of work out what whether what we're actually commissioning is kind of in line with our, our company aims um so yeah making sure that that balance is quite an important factor and we do say you know we do pass on some quite interesting projects sometimes saying you know this is interesting but we do have a few other things in a similar space which mm. kind of sounds you know can sound like a brush off but is actually true we do kind of look at things in that in that way quite a lot um and do you hunt to fill the gaps if there's stuff that's missing from your slate will you actively go out looking for it yeah or will you wait for it to arrive <laughs> no well that i mean that's always the sort of big discussion that we talk about and try and interrogate ourselves around is making sure we're being as proactive as possible um you know obviously we we have a lot of projects and a lot that we're working on but we try not to 
you know, I'm sure people say exactly the same, but try not to kind of just sit back and wait for producers to send us things. We try to be out there, you know, um, making our own talent relationships with, with directors and writers and producers and tracking shorts and festivals and TV and visual artists and so on and kind of trying to make as much time as we possibly can to kind of um, form our own relationships in that space. And, and occasionally we do kind of match make, you know, talent with producers if, if it's someone we kind of really are excited about working with and they need a hand um, for introductions. So yeah, we, we sort of try and um, put ourselves out there and uh, yeah, know what's going on out there in the industry rather than just waiting to be sent things. And the million dollar question, are there any gaps in your slate at the moment? Um, Watch Emma and Tristan now quickly start to write <laughs> Uh, I think the broad stuff is always the, um, you know, more from female directors, more from um, the sort of yeah, inclusion representation agenda as the things we talk about. Uh, we, tell, I mean, we do talk about genre a bit as well um, and making sure that, I mean, traditionally quite a lot of us slate as drama, so we do talk a bit about making sure that there's some, you know, exciting and authored thrillers and horrors and, um, you know, maybe more kind of... Uh, audience facing stuff along alongside the more sort of um auteur-y stuff as well um so we, we do have those conversations but we tend not to kind of do big industry shout outs about that because you know we are partly here to support the kind of producing infrastructure and i don't think we want to send people up the garden path by saying film four wants comedy and you know then only commission a small number of that so but yeah we, we, we want a we want a genre fair, fair enough a and tristan i might jump on to you here because you are a bit of a uh, maybe maybe the ultimate strategist when it comes to managing talent relationships. I mean, obviously your background, you started, you worked with Eye Features, which was very much working with emerging talent. Um, and I said, you've made your second feature with Peter Mackey, Bur Peter Mackey Burns. And, you know, you've got a very long and ongoing relationship with Andrew Haig. So maybe you could talk to us a little bit about that kind of, it can be, a, you know, cannot, it cannot always be an easy thing to you know deal you know manage those relationships and those expectations with your writers and your directors because sometimes they're friendships obviously but they're also professional relationships and maybe you know how you come at that and, and maybe what you've learned um over you know the last number of movies that you've done at the bureau from that and again i know there's probably no one uh, size fits all with these things but again i think you've probably got a good track record in in, in figuring some of this stuff out yeah, they're like complicated marriages. <laughs> um, I think I think one of the really important things is, which we have always uh, felt very strongly about, is don't start working with somebody unless you feel that you're simpatico to begin with, basically, because if you, you know, and sometimes it's tempting, you know, ideas arrive and you're like, you know, what? there's something really interesting in this, but then maybe something feels off. Maybe it's a personality thing. Maybe it's maybe it's to do with the. Maybe you both see the project going in different directions from that stage, and I think those are kind of risky relationships to embark on. I think our, our approach is always um, if we love the first presentation of something, whatever that might be, a book or an idea or just a conversation about something, then the question is how can we, as as the production company, help make the best possible version of that. And so it's, I don't, we don't approach things like us imposing what a project should become. It's more about agreeing upfront with the filmmaker. This is what we see as the best sort of direction this can head in and then collaborating towards that. And I think if you don't agree at that initial stage, then we just don't embark on it in the first place. Um, and I think that's one of the key things to, 
and making sure those relationships um, are mutual, you know, and in your intentions. Um, and I think another thing we've always tried to do is look at the sort of steps in a career and ask, for, for example, when we made, when I made Weekend with Andrew, immediately after that film, we optioned both 45 Years and Lean on Pete. But we knew that Lean on Pete was a much more expensive film and we wouldn't be able to make it next. So we made a very clear decision. We'll develop 45 years with the intention of, of making that first. And that was with Film 4, who then backed that. And, um, and then it was off the back of the success of 45 years that we were able to put Lean on Pete together. And we tried to take a similar approach, you know, with Harry Woodliffe. Her first feature was, you know, a very, very straight drama about a couple a love story about a couple trying to conceive a child together and her next film which i was saying we're sort of in production on at the moment is with ruth wilson and tom burke and that is leaning into i wouldn't say it's a genre film but it's definitely leaning more into that space and the, the hope is that that's kind of finding a way of making the material maybe a bit more urgent you know for as a theatrical film and actually the next we have a, another project we're in development with harry at the moment and that is more in the kind of like we need to talk about Kevin kind of territory and so I see that as a sort of trajectory that you know her work is stepping in and and so we'll always try to sit down with the filmmakers and talk about what are those steps towards growing the films uh growing the audience for those films which you have to do and equally not taking missteps I think a mistake often that gets made is people try to move up too quickly in a budget um, and then suddenly things can get compromised and maybe you stall maybe you can't get that film away so our approach has always been let's take one you know sort of step at a time in the right direction um, and I suppose like if you look at Yorgos's career it's probably similar in a way like the, the foreign language the Greek you know the film he's, he was making originally and then doing a film like The Lobster helped pave the way for what would become the favorite you know it's a very clear um, I don't know if it was a clear strategy at the time or approach, but it looks that way now. <laughs> so it's, uh... uh, it's actually, I, I don't know if it's worth jumping in on that because it is quite a, an interesting one because we attached Yorgos to the favourite before the lobster uh, existed. And, but it was, but we couldn't have, you know, it would have been very hard to make it in that order. And um, when we, because we saw um, Dogtooth uh, first, and then I think he went on to make Alps, but off Dogtooth, he was he became attached to the favourite, which was obviously a long time ago now. And that conversation with him about um, of, about the favourite led to him saying, well, I've got this idea called The Lobster, do you want to do it? And then quickly off the back of that came Killing of the Sacred Deer. So it was a real, um, while the favourite kind of rumbled along and like evolved and got over all of its issues and then found its, you know, while we found the kind of Yorgos version of it, we managed to make two more films with him. And I think that it would have been really, really hard to make the favourite without having made those films with him, you know, just being able to have established the relationship and understand his methods and, you know, like also get to know his crew and the people that he likes to work with so that by the time you get to this big film that you all know what you're going into and, um, I think that really uh, sort of stands to what you're saying, uh, Tristan, Tristan, about like those relationships, because sometimes you can meet somebody in the first instance and go on really, really well, but you don't totally know how their mind works about certain things, like how they're kind of how they respond to criticism or when you get to the point where the script isn't working, whether they're going to want to hear that, because when you're both sort of flirting with each other at the beginning, 
you're both being really nice to each other <laughs> and it's interesting you know that like the longer that you spend with people the more you work out about how 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 the kind of back and forth in the creative relationship works and how you have to uh, you know obviously this is like the most obvious thing ever but each each filmmaker needs to be um kind of uh, worked with in a different way you know great and actually on that I mean it's something we kind of discussed or was in our notes at the beginning and maybe all four of you might have interesting examples here of projects that you know have been maybe going through the motions you've gone through maybe a couple of phases of development and it's just not working and maybe you tried something different or maybe uh, came up with a way to look at something that may have uh, unlocked something. It may be that you brought in a different script editor, you did a table read. Do you have any examples of those types of scenarios where you tried something different, which then brought a project on or brought it forward? Yeah. Will I, will I go? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, there, was, there was two examples I thought of uh, in relation to this. One was, um, one was Rosie, a film we made a couple of years ago, because uh, when that first came into us, it was a sort of 60, 60 page script. It was sort of an hour long script. And so initially, A, because it was current affairs, we sort of thought, well, let's just make it as a TV piece and make it fast and do, you know, use the TV model because it's, it's generally faster than film. And we didn't get the backing that we thought we would for the TV version. So we then looked at it. We were so determined that we would still make it. And we thought, well, we know that we will get the backing from the film board for Roddy Doyle um Paddy Brownock piece so then we basically talked to Roddy about how we could extend the runtime and expand the film in order to make it a feature and and apply the same kind of enthusiasm pace wise to try and get it made and 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 you know and that and that got us out of a hole and I think it was because we were just so determined that it should live that the idea that the first kind of approach of how we would do it the fact that we ran into kind of a dead end there we just we tried to get out of it um uh yeah so that's one that was one way mm. and maybe ben do you have any examples of that from a you know from a funding perspective where you may have a bird's eye view of where a company or talent tried something a little bit different to maybe um before process that was had a positive outcome yeah i mean i i, I wasn't going to give any sort of specific examples but we have certainly done a range of things our traditional development model probably is the classic kind of send us some material then we have a meeting and chat about it then give notes and um go off and do some work on it and we have definitely in the past done things that kind of break up that model usually you know led by the, the producer that we're working with and, and how they feel it would best be handled but yeah everything from bringing on i mean usually we don't have sort of extra third-party script editors, kind of between the production company and, uh, and film four, um, we kind of feel we can develop ourselves, but, you know, occasionally bringing someone on to spend that really intensive time can help. Um, we have done sort of workshopping sessions in the past um, to kind of put a writer or director in a room with actors and, you know, try and unlock something that way. Uh, on projects based on tree love material, we, we have good research for, for trips or, um, or just the sort of dedicated research to come on and help with you know, an element of the project. Um, so yeah, definitely there's there's a range of things I think that we have done productively in the past um, when the kind of classic development model um, hasn't worked so well, including just having a really intensive time with us actually, you know, normally it's sort of um, financier meeting on a draft, but you know, we, we have done that before, just, you know, getting people in for longer sort of page turn uh, meetings with more people kind of in the mix, which I think has been quite helpful as well. 
Mm-hmm. And you look at it can be difficult as well because often you know huge amount of notes for a writer can can drown them sometimes as well and sometimes you need to kind of evaluate whether it's just three or four very concise direct notes are enough to kind of let them go off and, and fix one or two issues and you'll detach the next issue so that's why I think it's often important to have that strategy or some sense of a plan in place when you're developing a, a project so that at least everybody is on the same page. Yeah. I think um, that's very true yeah and that is sense internally of you know whether with one draft, you know, one or two big notes are going to kind of unlock more than reams and reams of page notes is, is quite important. Um, and also we do co-develop occasionally as well, um, you know, with the BFI and other partners. Um, so yeah, that's definitely something to keep in mind when there's more voices in the mix, how to keep things concise mm. and manageable. The majority we do, we do just ourselves, but mm. yeah, certainly it's it's something we, we do think about mm. how not to intimidate mm. people. And obviously different writers respond differently to notes and some absolutely yeah. love them and some find them, you know, you can see why they might find them overwhelming so yeah you try and sort of tailor it to yeah. the people involved as much as you can and you know as Emma and Tristan was saying it is about sort of forming strong yeah. trusting relationships you know first and foremost really mm-hmm. great and like I might we're kind of coming to the end of our kind of 40 minutes or so but I might just throw it out to the future actually to all of you to think you know I know diversity has come up a lot genders come a lot up a lot and you know they're very pertinent issues within the industry right now but I suppose looking towards the future and particularly I suppose in light of the last three months and what we've gone through what do you think are the types of stories that we're going to look towards maybe in the short and, and medium term for you guys what do you think you'll be commissioning and, and producing do you think you'll be looking for maybe um more light-hearted fare as a kind of a counter to this or will you look at projects I mean Dion you talked about it a little bit before as well you know the reactions to this going back to kind of our core values as a society but what do you think and again there's there's other things coming into play there's new technology there's all of that coming into play as well and elevated genre and how we tell stories differently but do you have any ideas as to what you think um the future holds for filmmakers and the types of stories that audiences are going to want and that we might tell i might i'll, I'll throw it to you first tristan to see um <laughs> just thinking i mean i think one of the most important things uh, even aside from this moment in time is especially if you're if we're talking about film is to find projects that have real urgency to them and urgency can be interpreted in many different ways but you know tv is so good now and availability of films on streaming platforms is you know is, is so uh, strong now as well that you are asked to people to go out of their home to a cinema, buy a ticket, to spend an evening doing that. It's a, it's a bigger ask today than it was five, 10, 15 years ago. And so something about every, any film, if it's gonna justify itself as a theatrical experience, has to have an urgency inside it that encourages people to go out and, and make that choice. So I think that's one sort of broad answer to that. Um, Personally, I would love to find some stories, UK set stories that really um, excavate our history here, you know, particularly in relation to diversity. And, um, you know, I've just finished reading The Anarchy, which is an extraordinary uh, nonfiction book about the East India Company and um, the absolute, you know, the, the oceans of wealth that a private company took out of India. Um, through the kind of 16th to the 18th centuries and led to the Raj, for example. That, you know, that's the thing that most people don't know anything about at all. And it is filled with stories. Like somebody else has optioned that and it's 
a huge, huge endeavor. But I think those kinds of stories are incredibly, you know, pertinent and exciting to tell. I mean, why would we not want to explore that and explore our own history and where we come from? So, uh, you know, we've tried to do that in the past, maybe not quite successfully enough. And I think it's something we'll probably, uh, not probably, we'll definitely put more energy into trying to uncover those kinds of stories. And, and it's, um, yeah, I think that's definitely something we're going to pursue at the moment. And for you, Dion, do you think there's any maybe future trends or things that you think will bounce a little bit more? Um, I think yes and no. I think um, everyone kind of responds to the zeitgeist, don't they, in, in terms of how you arrive at your creativity. I just think ideas don't come out of a vacuum, so people are going to be influenced by what's happening in the world right now. Um, and so I do think that will have an impact, but I also think like from our perspective, we still need to maintain um, the variety of our slate and continue to do lots of different things and um, support lots of different um, types of stories and filmmakers to get made. Um, I think the question of uh, cinema and, and the future of that is an interesting one to think about in terms of how our, our films find audiences um, and again, just, you know, how we look at what success means for each of them and whether it's about uh, kind of more curated um, exhibition, you know, on a smaller scale than trying to go out to kind of wider um, audiences in that respect. But I think, in, I think that what Tristan was saying about excavating our history and um, kind of more revisionist approaches to our past is really interesting. I think um, kind of lighter hearted stuff is also just from a personal, you know, like my personal taste, I'd love to watch some comedies mm. or just things that aren't, you know, about the pandemic or, or just people still being able to live their lives. Um, and I feel quite optimistic about all of that. And I think it's, you know, lots, obviously lots of devastating things have happened recently, but I think in terms of storytelling, I feel like there'll be lots of really interesting stuff that, that comes out of this and um, ends up on our screens in a few years time. Mm. And for you, Emma, are there anything, is there anything in, you know, that you're looking towards? Maybe I, I know you're obviously working on, you know, another Sally Rooney adaptation and there's, you know, a huge pipeline of, of projects coming through, but maybe for new projects that you're looking to add to the slate, is there anything there that you're particularly excited about or looking for or do you think audiences will maybe gravitate towards um, in the future? I mean, I think, you know, every project we make, we kind of learn a, a huge amount from. And at the moment, I'm sort of processing all the things we learned from normal people in order to apply them to the next thing, which will be different. You know, uh, conversation, conversations with friends is very different. But I mean, the kind of um, the constant appeal of truthful human stories seems to me to be one of the only things that can ride the wave of a, a very, very chaotic world. And I think um keep i i think that the creatively it is a really exciting time but the world is moving so fast that like for any mm -hmm. of us to kind of process it or respond to it before it's changed again is really really difficult and actually you know there's sort of been things on our slate in recent years that have been political and have felt really relevant which like two days later are totally irrelevant and um and so i think my focus is on just um yeah, finding stories that can sort of withstand that in terms of just being classic human stories um, 
you know well told and like Dion I'd really like to get some of our comedies off the ground because <laughs> like certainly my family are just fed up at crying at all of the things we make <laughs> so um, <laughs> there are some funny ones on the slate I promise um but yes yeah, so uh that would that that would be some you know if, if there's one thing I'd like I'd like to just have some have some comedy some more comedies coming through um but they are there just you know and have you got any yeah. I mean comedy sometimes are the hardest ones to get work on the page of it, you know, from a funder's perspective, the bigger the bigger risk and be able to speak to that as well, you know. Um mm. uh, for you, are there comedies on your slate? Are there comedies coming at us? Uh, or is or what do you think um will be some of the things that audiences aspire to look at in the future as well? Yeah, absolutely. There are comedies on our slate and we do have very similar <laughs> conversations about are we making quite a lot of quite uh, downbeat films. Um, but no, we've, we've certainly done more, like we did uh, Armando Inucci's David Copperfield last year, which is quite a sort of um, upbeat and uplifting film. And I mean, kind of interesting in that, you know, it's colourblind casting and, you know, hopefully that does something with a period drama that hasn't been seen before. Uh, we're also doing, everyone's talking about Jamie, the, the film version of the stage musical. So there's some sort of pretty uh more upbeat things in there and that is something we talk about as well having that mix but, but like everyone's saying i think it is yeah we're after stuff that feels urgent and contemporary and that kind of really justifies itself as, as a film rather than a, a tv show um but absolutely agree that yeah we're absolutely not chasing sort of um pandemic projects that are sort of very specifically grounded in the moment because obviously you know the world will change just as we weren't chasing sort of brexity projects um, over the last few years, you know, it's, um, or you may be things that speak to those issues, but often, you know, in a way that will last in a kind of way that's slightly sublimated or coming at it from a sort of slightly uh, angle that's not obvious. Um, it's yes. the way we tend to think about things. Mm. And certainly some of the, I mean, for me as well, just seeing some of the advances that are coming through technology wise. So even in terms of, you know, um, games technology now converging, you know, for, for, for that and what that possibly the possibility that that opens up for films that you don't have to have huge, huge budgets to do some of um, these, these more CGI based films and, or you can do things in real time now with actors, which um, allows us to kind of broaden and be more elastic in, in, in what we do. I think there's some kind of really exciting opportunities there as well. So it's really interesting. I think a couple of things that have come across in, in our conversations, there's just three things strategically when you're looking at projects, be they on your slate or you're adding to your slate, you know, you know, audience is very important. Authorship is very important. And I think probably achievability is something that you need to talk about. So do you have projects that varying budget levels and varying scales? And as a producer, particularly, you're trying to figure out how you're going to finance these things ultimately. And I think looking at your maybe your brand or your identity or what you stand for as a company would be that as when you're approaching a financier that they have that kind of shorthand that they know who you are and what you stand for and something that's come across very very clearly is comedies maybe but also you know that diversity thing and um, gender it's going to be at the heart of what we do and um, moving forward and it's something that everybody should kind of think about when they're looking at individual projects and their slate and the talent that they want to work with 
and by and large and ask themselves that question if they're kind of hitting that bullseye but we do have a couple of questions in so i'm hoping if people do want to submit a couple of questions we have a couple of minutes so i'm going to um, bounce a couple of questions at you guys i think dion and ben i think the first couple that came in were for you and they're they're really practical questions so um anura kumar wants to know um dion and ben are you open to receiving pitches for funding from companies that haven't worked with you before and if not, how like how does that affect the, diver the diversity of companies that you're funding? Should I go? Um, yeah, yeah, great. yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the submissions requirement is just by an agent or production company is how we ask for things to come in. Um, usually, if it's a production company, uh, if it's a company we've never heard of before, we might just ask for a bit of information about sort of past work you've produced. It if only shorts. Um, but yeah, absolutely committed to working with new producers and bringing new producers through along with new talent. And I think most of the, the debut features we've made um, in the last few years have been the producer's first feature as well. Um, you know, sometimes with a more experienced producer sort of in an exact role, but, um, but yeah, that is part of what we're trying to do. Yeah. And, and Dion, for you, are you open to working with companies that you haven't worked with before? Yeah, it's very much the same answer as Ben. Um, projects primarily come through uh, come to us through agents or producers and that's how we'll look but um, as well as being proactive as a team about going out and finding talent and meeting with talent you know um, writers directors producers um, so happy for things to be pitched to us in that way yeah and then a similar question but slightly different from Fiona Ash um, both to Ben and Dion again um, can you do you accept submissions from writers directors who are not attached to a production company um it depends how they um how we come across them we can i can definitely have conversations with writers or directors who don't have a producer um mm. usually if it's not someone whose work i've seen then it might come through an agent um and if it's something we're interested in i think ben mentioned before that we are able to be part of like matchmaking or making introductions um to producers if that feels like a necessary part of the conversation to mm. have mm. And another question that's come in, I might throw this to Tristan and Emma as well, particularly so from emerging talent, what is the best way for them to engage with you? You know, is it discussing maybe a one pager um, and will you kind of give them an initial steer as whether something you might be interested in? Just some tips maybe for new and emerging talent as to how they might engage with you guys. Shall I? Mm. Um, yep. I mean, again, from new, new uh, in terms of new talent, you know officially our policy is that things have to come through an agent if we you know if we don't know you and i know in ireland that is a little bit difficult because there's a lot of unrepresented um writers and directors you know it i think if we are going to consider something that doesn't come through an agent it really does have to be pretty brief and i think it's also really useful to be realistic about whether it seems like the sort of idea that we would make you know and i, I and i think that's a good place to start and uh, not to sound very harsh but uh, everyone is very you know um very busy so just being kind of mindful of people's time and the real this realistic outcome of what you're what you're asking for and tristan for you what's the best way as for emerging talent to engage with you is it you know kind of an email with maybe a one page or maybe a couple of ideas yeah i mean i suppose the, the difficult thing is always that um, kind of as other people have touched on, if, if let's say we come across a short and then we reach out to a person, then there's an there's a 
that's a slightly different nature to the relationship. If we're receiving stuff cold, then it's very difficult for people to grab attention or within the space of an email to, to feel like, right, this is something we have to, to get on board. Um, I think the way to do that is uh, as um, to keep it brief, to keep it concise. But, but I think also within that, you know, stories, the reason we all want to tell stories, watch films, read books, et cetera, is because they have meaning within them. And so you have to find a way quite concisely of getting across why your story, or, or not even just why, the fact that your story has meaning and power within it. Um, so I think giving people some sense of the themes within it and an overview of the story in a very concise fashion, I think is really important. But actually something else I was just thinking um, while Samma was talking is, you know, I think there's a good question, like, you know, like if we're talking about when you're starting out in your career, then often you're better off working with some a producer who's starting out in their career as well. Yeah. Honest answer. Um, if I think back to like when Andrew and I did Weekend, you know, that, that collaboration worked so well because we were in the same place, we were peers, and we needed that film in exactly the same way. It's very difficult for companies as they become more established and they grow to take on those kind of films. When we made Weekend, we made it for like 86,000 pounds. At the Bureau now, it's a big decision if I come in one day and announce that we're gonna do that because, um, you know, that's it's a very difficult thing as a, a company with more overheads to, to take on board. And I also just think that relationships are often more fruitful if you're if you're working together as peers. So I do think that's a very pertinent point. Often the drive is to work with bigger companies, but I mean sometimes people have to kind of figure as well that you know they have big overheads, they have staff, so they have to kind of very tactfully decide what projects that they can afford to kind of give that time and energy to as well. So you know it, it, it's it's sometimes that's often part of the decision as well um, and it's often not personal with, with projects you know that's just that's just business you know at the end of the day as well um another question that's come in here and it's kind of an open question is do you feel the cinema experience is about to end as more and more people watch online and streaming and tv is this you know is this going to be a very negative thing or do you think we can look at this positively I mean, a very philosophical question there. So I'm not sure if anybody has the answer to that. If anybody wants to shout. I mean, I'll say I hope not, because I love nothing more than going to the cinema and watching a film. Um, coronavirus will in some way or another pass at some point or another. So I think that let's set that aside. Um, I, I think I think we people will still want to continue to go to the cinemas. I think what is changing and certainly what we're all facing um, as producers and filmmakers is the sorts of stories that audience will, will respond to in that environment. And um, that's a very big part of our discussion every time we assess a project now. Also, I think that platforms like Movie and Volta and you know Netflix bringing on loads more movies as well, there's a sort of demo uh, democratic thing whereby people can find films wherever they need to find them. You know, I think that's increased over the last while. And for some people, you know, getting out about mobility, um, all those things, it's not that easy to get to a cinema. You know, for parents, it's not that easy to get out all the time. So I hope, again, I think there's hundreds of people hopefully will rush back to the cinemas, but hopefully people will also know more now that they can find interesting films in lots of different places, so. Yeah. 
great. There was a question. I don't think we're going to have time to answer, but Rachel, you had a good question. She wanted some sort of advice about a career in film development. Happy to, to come back to you on that. But guys, we're, we're kind of coming to the end. But what has been your biggest positive takeaway from, from the last kind of four months? And, you know, as I said, the world has been kind of shoved into a bit of turmoil. But, you know, what are the positives that, that you're taking away from it Um maybe professionally or, or personally, if you want to share those as a kind of a nice way to sign off. This is a bit of a joke, but basically I, I spent a load of my time flying around all over the place and feeling very bad about my carbon footprint. And I realise now that I can actually do far more from my house than I realised. So, you know, talking to filmmakers in America, Sweden, the UK, Galway, like that sort of ability to reach a really wide talent pool and be able to connect with people is much um much changed for the better i think so that's a great one ben for you yeah i was going to kind of say the same like professionally just the fact that um you know things still function really obviously we're not making very much but on the development side it's been busy and there's been something um really nice about knowing that those kind of exciting and stimulating conversations have been able to carry on virtually and i've got a one-year-old as well so it's been nice seeing her more <laughs> on the personal <laughs> side <laughs> And for you, Dion? Um, um, it would definitely echo with that. And also, I think personally and professionally, it's just people's resilience. And that kind of filters into creativity as well. It's like the fact that people can still find the energy and uh, have the capacity to, to, whether it's, you know, film something or write something in this time is kind of extraordinary to me, um, but really great. And it gives me a lot of hope for how we'll merge out of this. Mm. And for you, Tristan, I know you, you've just had a new, a new arrival in your household as well. So, yeah, I think the best thing around here is a four week year old, a four week old baby. <laughs> Congrats. So, congratulations. So look, guys, I want to say a huge thank you to you all for taking an hour out of your day to share your thoughts with us. And um, I hope the audience maybe has taken maybe something creative or practical um, when thinking about the development process and how they might actually uh, plan that uh, now, or if they have, how they might uh, look at that again. Um, your insights have been really wonderful. Thank you sincerely from me um, and from all our supporters to you guys all for taking the time out. Dion, Ben, Tristan and Emma, huge thank you um, for taking the time out to join us today and for, for the insights that you've shared. So I'll sign off. Bye guys, thank Bye. you very much. Bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.